You're now listening to two guys talk about a movie that I guess we want to talk about it. Doesn't really feel like people who are making it wanted to make it, but we'll talk about it. The patrons paid for it. It's the Raiders Pictures Edition. We're going to be talking about Indiana Jones and the Kingdom. I almost just said the Temple of Doom. I wish we were talking about that. You know, that was probably the one that I had the most fun talking about. It's fun to talk about the outliers, I think. But, folks, Jake's signing a document, so... No, I'm not. Good. He's here. He's Jake. That's who he is. And I'm Nathan, and you're listening to Sanity at the Movies, and we are going to bring you our patented deep dive. No one else on the internet's doing movie deep dives. We're going to do our patented... You know, we don't claim to be doing something that other people aren't doing. We just claim to be doing it... Better. Better. Speaking of better... We have a patron choice award of awesomeness to give out to Ryan and Judith. Threat Avenger and Judith of the Ladies of Justice. Two great people, great patrons, super awesome. You guys are super awesome. You are so awesome that you would uh, have no place in this particular film. No, if anything, you would be the motorcycle chase, because that's probably the highlight of this turkey. Yeah. But you don't have a place in it. I said, if you had, if someone, if someone named Uzi at my head and said, give them a place, I'd say, yeah, motorcycle chases kind of feels like an Indiana Jones thing. Kind of. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. It comes the closest. I mean. I, I see the, the light in Jake's eyes is already dying in preparation for, this is like, a, what do they call it? This is a, a eulogy for Indiana Jones. Uh, yeah. I. It's a eulogy for Steven Spielberg. Well, I wanted to, I, I, I really like to stick up for the underdogs or um, maybe a less nice to me way of saying it is. I just like to have an outsider opinion. I like to be a contrarian. I like to be a contrarian. There you go. This, I would love to find a way to champion this movie. I don't want to just do a podcast about, ah, that movie was a swing and a miss. But, swing and a miss. Yeah, it was a swing. And a, this movie is a swing and a miss. It's really bad. And what year did this come out? This came out. I've been I've been wondering that since we started. I've meant to look it up earlier and I never got around to it. 2008, Jake. 12 years have gone by. 2010. Yeah. yeah, around that era. Wait, 12 years have gone by? So 90- the 12 years have gone by since. Oh, okay. okay. No, no, no. Since this then. is uh, 2008. Like 96 is not. No, no, no. 89 is when Last Crusade Last came Crusade out. Last Crusade was 80, yeah. Yeah, so that was a good... Something's wrong with your math. Yeah, that's like, what I was thinking. It was like 20 years or something. Yeah. Uh, something in that ballpark. I'm not even going to do math that simple off the top of my How head. How many Mission Impossible movies had been out by 2008? Well, if I'm not mistaken, the first Mission Impossible movie came out in 96, yes? I was going to say 96, yeah. And the second one came out in 2000. The third one came out in 2006. So three Mission Impossible movies. In How the, many Born movies? Uh, probably all of them, but well, except for like Born Legacy, which I don't know why I say it like that. I actually, I am a contrarian champion of Born Legacy. I think that movie is pretty cool. But let's see here. The Born Identity came out in 2002, Supremacy 04, Ultimatum 07. So the trilogy of Born movies, the Matt, beloved Matt Damon classics that all come out. We still had Born Legacy ahead of us and we still had... When did Iron Man come out? 2010? Yeah. So Iron Man was two years away. And we hadn't seen any of uh, Daniel Craig as Bond yet. True. 
Uh, let's see here. That is a great question. False. Casino Royale was two years ago. It was 2006. So we'd seen Daniel Craig. And how about... Batman Begins is 2005. That's what I was going for. So Batman Begins and... Have Dark, you seen The Dark Knight? Dark Knight hit in 2008, so... Same as Crystal Skull. Same same summer or whatever. Maybe Crystal Skull. Is and we've Christmas. had all the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. Right. So we haven't actually gotten <coughs> Marvel yet. We have, we've gotten uh, Sam Raimi's take on Marvel, but we don't, we don't have the MCU's only thing. Well, we're in, we're in kind of the gritty period. We're in the period the board of, influence, of, right? Yeah. But everything has to be gritty and... And Mission Impossible didn't buy that. No, Mission Impossible didn't, but then everybody made but it fun suffered. of Mission Impossible 2. And so, the yeah, J.J. Abrams, a Steven Spielberg intern, I think, and a Steven, certainly a Steven Spielberg disciple, made the third Mission Impossible movie, kind of got that franchise back on track. That's the one kind of fun franchise. But Mission Impossible, it's hard to even put it, especially the, the last movies, it's hard to even put them in the discussion because they kind of seem to just exist outside of time and outside of what else is going on. It's just like Tom Cruise just wants to do a big, fun Mission Impossible. Yeah. It's riffing on certain current events, like in the sense of this is a new kind of stunt that Tom Cruise can do because now we're aware that people do these kinds of jumps or these kind of building. But the Mission Impossible movies, for all their glories, don't seem to be in conversation with the rest of cinema cinema much or culture, really. It's just like, Here's another Mission Impossible movie. The reason I wanted to run through all of that is because you're bringing Steven Spielberg back into the action movie conversation, the action movie sequence, which everybody's been trying to live up to what he set up in Raiders of the Lost Ark since he did Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm-hmm. And so Spielberg's going to come out and not bother trying to top himself, not bother trying to recapture the magic Talk not anyone else not bother trying to show these whippersnappers how it's really done mm-hmm. he's going to do a boring riff on stuff he's already done before i think there's a sense in which maybe he wanted to show these whippersnappers because what was in vogue with the dark knight with the born series was all this fast cutting nonsense that i always like to complain about where we can't see the action and so one thing that steven spielberg obviously wanted to do and he talked about in interviews and stuff is we're not going to do that. We're not going to cut this movie like Jason Bourne. We're going to show that you can do good action using an old school approach, which is a wonderful idea. But, but you've got to I support you the dream. actually do it. <laughs> yeah, then you need to have some good action. You know, in in Christopher McQuarrie does it. Mm-hmm. If you, I mean, what, what what was the latest? I mean, there are a million blah Mission Impossible, Mission Impossible but the Rogue Nation or whatever. Yeah, but they have the motorcycle chase in that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of awesome. Yeah, well, George Miller similarly an old man coming back to show the whippersnappers how he it's done he showed us how it's done well he just like let me just uh, take the benchmark lift it up on my shoulders and not move it an inch but move it a mile yeah run down the football field and plan it somewhere else (laughs) good luck catching up yeah yeah by the way you won't top it and and we haven't no there's there's no movie that tops that movie for action it's absurd yeah it is like breathtakingly awesome. I mean, it is, I I don't think it's hyperbolic to say it's like a Citizen Kane level, just like, look at me go, man. Like, yeah, just just like a leap. It is a statement of intention for action cinema. I, and I don't know who's lived up up to it. Nobody really. 
And it really like Christopher Nolan always pretends like he is every time he comes out with another movie. He never he, does. He never. He do, he's not even in the conversation. I don't think. No, no. That that I mean, Fury Road is peerless mm-hmm. when it comes to action. Yeah, but that's why like, just don't make the movie Spielberg. Like, just don't make it if you're not going to. Like, it's Indiana Jones. Like, if you're not go- if you're bringing Indiana Jones back. You either do it right or don't do it. Yeah, either you have a script that you're excited about or don't. You have to have a story that you're going to tell that makes uh, puts another turn on this character that we love. And two things that you need. You you have a story to tell mm-hmm. that puts another gives us another angle of this character that we love. You're going to have that one action set piece that's going to be jaw-dropping. Mm-hmm. That's what you you just have to commit to those two things. And if you don't have both, don't go home. Don't 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 mess with an icon. Mm-hmm. Just don't do it. It doesn't matter how much money's on the table. Like mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter who wants to do it and who you're going to make happy. Like at the end of the day you're letting them all down. I don't care if George Lucas was happy because he, you gave him a a half done. Well, George Lucas should be movie. happy, by the way. Like that that's the thing that fascinates me about this movie is who was excited about this? I can see the kinds of things that George Lucas wanted to do, but it doesn't seem like it really ever gets there. We're not seeing Indiana Jones versus the Saucer Men. We don't we don't actually get that movie. We just get a taste of it. We don't really get an exciting old school Indiana Jones jungle chase movie. We don't get a compelling villain. Villain. We don't get a compelling uh, what what do you want to say? Like a an emotional hook. Like Last Crusade, no Spielberg's not so interested in doing another Indiana Jones movie, but he wants to say, he has something to say about his relationship father with his and dad, son, father right? and son. Sean movie, Connery and Harrison Ford get to be awesome father-son stuff and, and do that together. And, and like, Spielberg is... like, But the, he leaned into that. And, you know, he still gave us some great a- action along the way. And Yeah, but he didn't have, like with the, the Mutt Williams character... Boo. We don't have a, something to say about this. We, we, what is our take on, what is our take period? Like, what is this the story of? Does Indiana Jones even want to go on this adventure? He doesn't seem that excited about it. Is this a story of them finding an artifact? If so, what's cool about the artifact? Is this a story of a man connecting with his old flame? If so, let's develop that instead of just have it hiring poor, what's her face? Marianne, Karen Allen. Karen Allen to just come in and smile and look like an idiot. Yeah. Let's, I mean, I feel really bad for her. She's really ill used and it really plays to her weaknesses yeah, as an actress. Like she's got, she's stand there and look bemused. Like I believe she could have at least given us a performance up to old Marion. You know, she could do petulant old Marion, but they really just hired her to come smile. Like we don't have something to say about that relationship. We don't really have an angle on the son relationship except for that. Yeah, we're not passing the torch, which, what an exciting... It's obnoxious. It's obnoxious. Uh, if they would have just... If they would have had an angle on... The same kind of angle mm-hmm. on Mutt Williams that they had on Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones in the other movies. It, the Yeah, Indiana Jones back in the 80s. Because we don't actually even know what we think about Indiana Jones in this movie, but we'll, we'll get to that. Right. Well, if they had a clear angle on a Mutt Williams character, mm-hmm. they could have found Indiana Jones. Yeah. Is, like, it, is this the, the guy that's ready him, to hang he, up his hat? Is yeah, this the is, guy is, that is, isn't? Is, is, is this Obi-Wan? Is he Obi-Wan now? Like, that could be cool. 
is he Sean Connery now? That could be cool. Mm-hmm. Like, is he now, kid? You're not ready yet. Sit in the back and let me show you how it's done. Like, uh, that's probably not going to be as cool. But that's sort of the direction they ended up going. But how much of that's because they just didn't find a interesting, compelling. I mean, he's just like, he's like short round. He's like, Mm. he's not, he doesn't have the dignity, the audience, sympathy, the, This is not, yeah. I mean, I. There's there's no seed, there's no chemistry, there's no fuel for any kind of real emotionally resonant relationship between this father and son combo that you've given us. There's not even, the the screenplay in and of itself. I don't even believe it. I don't even believe that he's actually Indiana Jones' son. Like, I don't believe that Indy and, and Marion had a baby and Indy left her at the altar. Like, I don't believe any of it. I just don't believe it. Yeah. They didn't make me believe it. They didn't, they weren't invested in making me believe it. And by the way, I'd be there for any of those movies. I'd be there for Indiana Jones versus the saucer men, the goofy George Lucas cardboard cutout prequel, Indiana Jones ridiculousness. I'd be there for Indiana Jones accepts that he's getting old and connects with his son. I'd be there for Indiana Jones tries to discover an artifact, but ends up discovering that Marion was what he needed all along in his life. Any of those movies that Steven Spielberg and I, I principally, Steven they all Spielberg, had the same problem. They were, they weren't you. That was a great line. Yeah. If they had, there's little, if they had made that movie. Yeah. If they'd made the saucer man movie, if they'd made the Mutt Williams movie, if they'd made the, if they'd made the, well, if they'd recast, I mean, honestly, I think we have a casting problem as much as anything. Like if you had not gone with Shia LaBeouf mm-hmm. and you'd gone with a uh, uh, young Chris Pine, mm-hmm. this is my dream casting here. Yeah. AKA somebody with a backbone and. Yeah. Somebody who feels like he can stand up. Mm-hmm. Somebody who feels like he can throw a punch and take a punch. Like Shia LaBeouf doesn't feel like he can throw a punch or take a punch. He's just so, he's a twerp, like. You can have him be downstream of mm-hmm. Indiana Jones. Like, you can have him be a little weaker and a little less sure of himself and a little more uh, meta than Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones was always playing sideways mm-hmm. to John Wayne. Let's have somebody who can play sideways to Indiana Jones now. That's fine, but Shia LaBeouf's Mutt Williams is not that. Like, somebody like uh, that can look the part mm-hmm. and... And, and carry some of the dignity of the part of the straight ahead hero who's also going to be just a little bit. Or, or if you want that Shia LaBeouf, diffident Transformers, bratty, I deserve better than I'm getting energy, which I think can be used well. I don't have a problem with him as a performer. Write that character. Actually write it. Though. Yeah, like here's the guy that doesn't deserve to be Indiana Jones. And, you know, let's hope by the end of the movie he does. But let's write the Indiana Jones has a brat son movie. I don't particularly think that's a great pitch for an Indiana Jones movie, but that would be a pitch for a movie with yeah. a story with something it was driving at. Instead, it's like, well, we threw a dozen ideas against the wall. We committed to making this movie. None of these ideas stuck. So let's throw them all in the pot and make some jambalaya and hope that it pans out and at least we'll get paid at the end of the day. Right. And, and we'll have fun. The most damning thing I read about this movie is they filmed the big action set piece, the where they're hacking down the jungle and everything in Hawaii. And they filmed a lot of stuff in Hawaii because Steven Spielberg just said, I don't want to be away from my family. So we're not actually going to go outside of America for this movie. 
And okay, great. I'm glad that you've matured. I'm glad that you love your family. I'm glad that you married. Uh, then let's have it. Let's have don't it. Make, just don't make it. Like, yeah. you don't have, if, if, if what it takes is a young man's energy to make this movie, to put in the sweat, to go to the locations. Or channel it into an Indiana Jones movie where Indy. He's not there either. He's not there either. He doesn't want to get in the plane. He doesn't want to go out. Maybe Indy finds that for the first time, the adventure comes to him and he's annoyed by it, like put off by it. Maybe it's because Indy's done so much mm-hmm. over his entire life that these jerks come and bring the adventure to his doorstep and he's just annoyed by it and wants to tell everybody to go home and leave him alone while mm-hmm. he plays with his family. He's retired. He's hung up his hat and his whip. Go away. I'm not busting out the hat and the whip. Go. I'd watch that movie because it would just be Spielberg tapping into something real again, finally. Right. You, you, know? can, you can tell when Spielberg's engaged. I think that's actually the movie that Spielberg would like to make because that's how he feels about it. He, does, he doesn't really want to be there. So the only way to really do it is to make a movie about how he doesn't want to be there. And you feel that. The movie actually comes to life. It's not a great scene because it's not supported by any kind of context. But those... And then let Harrison Ford be the same way. Like Let Harrison, Harrison Ford go Ford out there is. and be like, I don't want to be here. Let's have let's have Indiana Jones there with an earring. Mm. I've gotten past this. Like, but the movie has those scenes. It has two scenes where I think Spielberg's actually engaged, and those scenes are the scene, and they're stupid scenes because they don't have anything to do with the rest of the movie. They don't even pay off. But it's where the the feds come and interview Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. Spielberg actually cares about America in the 1950s and our hypocrisy and all this kinds of stuff. He's going to put touches of it through the whole movie and really shoot the movie in the foot because it doesn't need any of that. And then the scene where Indiana Jones is with, what's his face? I forget the actor's name, the guy from Moulin Rouge and all that. The old, the the Marcus substitute character. Oh yeah. And they're talking about, it's not like it's used to be, it's sad, dad died, they're in his office and they're just like, Indiana Jones has been fired. Those scenes in they clearly like Spielberg took his time with them. They yep. go on for too long. They don't have anything to do with. It's not like the feds show up and say, "Indiana Jones, you're off the hook. You're you. You've proved you love America." At the end of the movie, right? Like they don't have any payoff. The reason they're there is because Spielberg was actually interested in exploring that side. The I'm getting old and nobody trusts me anymore side of Indiana Jones. Yep. So you can make that movie. That's fine, but to kind of throw a couple scenes in that nod their head at that movie and then yeah it's just stupid well okay so here's my defense of it i was trying to think like what how How can you defend this movie so i was thinking about the kinds of sequels the categories of sequels that people make and so really good sequels come in different categories there's the category of we didn't actually crack this until number two so that would be like alien or i know that would be like Terminator 2, Spider-Man 2, Road Warrior. Mm-hmm. Like the first one, actually, we didn't get to make the movie. We, we had a, we had some great ideas and we didn't come close to realizing it, but we're coming back again because we've learned our lessons. Right. So that's a that's a great kind of a, a sequel. Then there's, Most of those sequels don't get greenlit nowadays. If Ben Salser were here, he would say that the, that the uh, Guy Ritchie Arthur movie was exactly that. I, I would agree with him. And too. I, 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 would too. I agree. It's, it's not a great movie, but it's a movie full of cool ideas. Really cool ideas that aren't realized that like, I would we're just waiting I'd love to the... come back to this world and figure out like. Yeah, this movie sucks because we're spending the whole time setting the table. But once the table's set, like I want to eat the meal and we don't get to because we, yeah. we never got the movie. There are sequels that just do something 
totally bug nuts different. That would be like Back to the Future 2. Like, mm-hmm. it's not actually a sequel to Back to the Future. The first one is like, a, what if you were your parents? The second one's just like, we have a time, time machine. <laughs> the future. Like, it doesn't have it doesn't. It a great score and two wild, awesome characters and Marty McFly and Doc Brown. Yeah, yeah. It's really a sequel to those characters. If, if you liked watching Christopher Lloyd and Marty McFly be in the same frame and walk back and Great forth. Great Scott, this and, is heavy. And, and, and shout exposition at each other and Marty say, Doc, ah, bah, bah. well, Marty, bah, bah, bah. if you liked that, then we're making a You're sequel gonna to that. You're going to love that. But, it, but we're not making a sequel to any of the heart or emotion or anything. We're just right. doing something else and it's fun. Gremlins 2. Well, and then, you know, Back to the Future actually does follow the Indiana Jones. It does go darker in yeah. the second one. And then the third one's just like the most family-friendly, fun, and even Wild Westy. Yeah, I mean, the third one's actually worse than Last Crusade in that it's, like, so toothless. Like, sorry. The third... We're just going to give you the fun stuff now. Yeah, we we divided up and we put all the dark stuff in this one and all the fun stuff over here. I don't know how I feel about Back to the Future too, but we can talk about that some other time. There are sequels that are part of franchises or are just simply... We actually have more story to tell. Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. You know, uh, The Godfather Part 2. Like, there's just more that's go- that actually happened. The story wasn't done. Those are generally some of the mm-hmm. best and most compelling sequels. Then there are bad sequels where people didn't want to make them. You know, Men in Black Part 2, Ghostbusters Part 2. Yeah. Um, this movie, if it falls into any category of good sequel, and I'm not even sure that uh, I might be being too nice to say that this is a good category but i think what they actually ended up kind of going for whether intentionally or maybe they just stumbled into it is is they made a what i've decided to call a polly has a robot sequel named after the wonderful subplot in rocky part (laughs) nine (coughs) where his brother-in-law polly gets a a robot robot yeah and did you see did you see that they're that uh, Stallone's recutting that movie and cutting the robot out. That's so sad. I mean, that's I know that's he shouldn't do that. He's doing it. Well, that's that's so wrongheaded because I think what the Rocky sequels understand, and this goes for the entire second half of John Wayne's career, where he just played the same character and he had the same kinds of guys in the same situations. They showed up. They weren't exactly sequels, but it was basically, you know, me and my wife were watching El Dorado the other day, and it might as well be a sequel to all the other John Wayne movies. Cause it's like, there's not really a beginning. There's not really an end. There's not really a major conflict. It's just like, let's hang out for two hours with John Wayne and he'll shoot some guys and he'll kiss some ladies that are too young. And yep. you know, that's what, that's what like lazy old John Wayne movies are. He'll, and, ha- he'll have some kind of, you know, fun, handsome sidekick. Yeah. He'll have a, a, a young up and coming star in that case. Yeah. I think it was uh, James Can- Con hanging out with him it was dean martin and, and then i'll have dean martin yeah yeah um and there will be a, a the same old guy that plays the same wily prospector type all right john wayne kind of character yeah. and we just like to spend time with john wayne we like to be in that world we we want the movie to kind of be slow and plotting we don't care about the plot we just enjoy the company of john wayne and we his, want to bask in the glory of john wayne being gritty old john wayne doing yep. john wayne things yeah yeah I- I- exactly and Mississippi's going to run around with his two big gun and... Yeah, and if or, we, can, we can put a couple hoity-toity dames in their place, so much the better. If yeah. we can knock a, the teeth out of some ruffians in a bar, 
been great. So much the better. If we can get him holed up in a barn where he has to, you know, come out and pick people off, make trips. But if he does get holed up in a barn or the sheriff's office, he'll spend 45 minutes of the movie just hanging out, drinking coffee, and the school marm will bring him some food and we'll do some comedy. That's, that's, you know, John Wayne made like his classics. He made The Searchers and Red River and stuff. And then the whole back half of his career is that. And their movies about how much fun it is to hang out with John Wayne and his friends. And their later Rocky movies and even Creed 2 fell into this formula. They're not really that much about like, is Creed going to beat Ivan Drago's son? It's more like, wonder what's happening with Creed's uh, girlfriend's music career. Right. I wonder, hey, Polly got a robot. That's kind of fun. Like, we, hey, I wonder what Adrian's up to. Oh, that's sad. She, you know, mm-hmm. it's the Hangout sequel. It's the, you liked these people. It doesn't really matter what they're doing. And so we're just going to come live in this world and hang out with them. I think that and that's... Then, and, then, and then, you know, you can argue that, okay, those kinds of sequels, they cheapen the original stories and the characters that you love, but also wouldn't you rather just have an excuse to hang out with them? Yeah, nobody likes the Ghostbusters. I mean, Ghostbusters 2 kind of falls into this category. Nobody really likes it as much. It's not inspired, but are we going to deny ourselves the pleasure of... Bill Murray's company and Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis and Sigourney Weaver. Sure, they're not as interesting, but... And let's be sure that we make Janine and Rick Moranis hook up. Yeah, exactly. Let's just hang out. I mean, there's a thin line between the utter lack of inspiration of something like Men in Black 2, which is a movie I hate. I think it's really bland. And and I really love the first one. It's crass and disgusting. It's bland, it's crass, and it's disgusting, where the first one was charming and light on its feet and really cool. So there's a thin line between we just didn't have anything to say and actually John Wayne's so cool and his stock company's so great or Rocky's so cool and his stock company's so great that it's just fun to spend some time with them. I think if you want to say that this movie is doing anything and it's giving us an excuse to hang out with Indiana Jones again. Yeah. Well, it just occurred to me, they give them all these friends and the friends are meaningless but we're acting like they mean something. Like if we knew Oxley, if we knew the guy that betrays him. It, it, but like if this movie was in fact what it wants to be, which is a hangout movie with Harrison Ford, Sean Connery, Sulla, and Yeah, well, why don't and where's Marcus. Sulla? Why didn't we pay for Gimli to come back? I don't know, and I didn't bone up on this, but I think Jonathan Reese Davies wanted too much money or is difficult to work with or but I think if you're making a hangout movie, pay Jonathan Reese Davies. Work with the guy. It's an Indiana Jones movie, guys. And you're doing a let's check in on Polly and see about his robot style movie. So we can't just do it with Indiana Jones and a bunch of new characters. We need as many of the ga- like let's 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 pay whatever it takes to have Sean Connery come and do five minutes. Yeah. If 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 we're gonna make that kind of a movie, which is the closest thing this thing comes to having any kind of coherent form, is it's the Indiana Jones gang hanging out. We need more of the gang back together. It would really be helpful if Marcus wasn't dead. Yeah. The actor that played him. I don't know why we're going to put a hat on that by destroying his statue in a way that just uh, feels disrespectful to the character as much of a buffoon as he was. I don't know that we need to see his statue get decapitated. Feels in poor taste to me. Maybe if the actor in real life wasn't dead, but. He was. No, he was. I'm saying. If he oh, was, maybe if, if he, he was, was still alive. Oh, I see. Yeah. And we wanted to say, hey, we're going to do a fun joke wherever we decapitate you. And we could get him on an interview saying, oh, yes, they decapitated me. That'd feel a little bit better than, ah, he's dead. He can't be in the movie. But 
our nod to him is to knock off his head. Anyway, Jake, there's my defense. Does this movie on some level work as a meandering? Nope. You lose. Fails. If you want to make that argument, that's just the dumbest way to make this movie. Uh, it's like you said, you, you don't introduce five new characters that we're supposed to have a relationship. There are only three characters that we care about outside of Indiana Jones. We care about Marcus Brody. Mm-hmm. We care about Sulla. And we care about Sean Connery. This yeah. movie labors under the delusion that there's a great cultural caring for Marion. And there's not. I mean, honestly, I would have been more excited to see a grown-up short round as... For years, everybody said they're going to make Indiana Jones 4, and they got Jackie Chan, who you know was a young martial arts star at the time. That was the rumor that floated around, and all the nerds thought that would be fun. It would have been fun. like. You know, the, there's indie, there's father figure indie. Let's uh, let's do something with. I mean, like there are a lot of ways to go. If you're going to, if you're going to decide, we want to live in the Indiana Jones world mm-hmm. and have an excuse to hang out with Indy again, and we can't bring any of those characters back. We need one character to fixate on, mm-hmm. who can then be beaten up in place of Indiana Jones while he sits back. And smiles wryly and says, sucks, don't it, kid? Right. He solves the problems. He does the puzzles. He says, that, oh, don't do the... But I told you. That you should have learned. You should have known. And like we can see him go through some of the same things that in, you know have to learn the lessons the hard way, the way Indy... Whatever, like something like that could be fun. Mm-hmm. We just need to establish that relationship and actually make it count. Right. Which is why I keep coming back to if they had just gone the Chris Pine route and mm-hmm. he's who I fixated on. It was a random pull while we were texting mm-hmm. the other day, but I think it's right. Like somebody like Chris Pine. Not who, Pratt. Not, definitely not Pratt and not Evans mm-hmm. and not Hemsworth. No other Chris's will do, but Chris Pine, in my opinion. Well, Chris Pine is the closest to just having a casual manly but also self-effacing i don't know that we really have a harrison ford but if we do chris pine's about as close as anybody he feels like the closest like you know his captain kirk his opposite gal gadot mm-hmm. roles you know they were good and they were cast in that same kind of like i can take a beating and keep getting back up that right. spider-man kind of mentality like but with that you know also still carrying some of the dignity of the 1950s you know, straight ahead, blonde hair, blue eyed, Aryan child of Hitler. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever you want to call it. Like, but that, that sense of like, just to stay, stand All up American, straight ahead. Jawed, yeah, dude. Two-fisted hero. Yeah. And he can you t- you take the beating and keep, you know, and you can imagine him making the sacrificial play and mm-hmm. whatever, but he's, he's not like Chris Evans pretending to be somebody he hates and he's not. Chris Pratt. Being... Chris Pratt, Pratt being just doofusing all over mm-hmm. the place and thinking it's cute. So something like that would have worked and yeah. would have given us an excuse to buddy around with Indiana Jones still and still let him be Indiana Jones. Yeah. But so I, I'm just going to keep making the case that the only way to do an Indiana Jones movie at this point period is to do a Chris Pine Indiana Jones movie. And I, I just don't see another like... Or an unknown or something. I mean, presumably yeah, there's somebody out there that can yeah, do it. Yeah, I mean, in 2008. In 2008, yeah, exactly. That's what I meant. That's mm-hmm. what I mean. 
I, yeah. I'm not trying to like maybe well, who knows what they're going to do with five. I don't know. I'm just saying like in this t- timetable, like you pull Chris Pine out of nowhere, out of mm-hmm. thin air. You know, I don't even know what he was doing if he was even active. Right. Then like maybe he was in high school for all. And I don't know how old he is. I think Star Trek's probably about that old. That's kind of what I'm thinking. I'm thinking it was actually the right time. It might even be 2008. It seems like Star Trek was right around Maybe 2010. How about we do IMDb Chris Pine? 2009, a year later, Chris Pine would hit with Star Trek. So it was perfect. Perfect timing. Should have just got him before, not let him do Captain Kirk, actually. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good pull. I'm there. I'm there for that. I'd be there for further Indiana Pine adventures. Yeah, like... He could have done it. He could have done it. I mean, I think the other... What had he done before he really had he'd done some TV stuff and some... Yeah, he played the second lead in a couple things. Smoking Aces. Looks like he was in The Princess Diaries too. but yeah, he hit with Star Trek for sure. And J.J. found him. Yep. Why didn't Spielberg say, J.J., let's do Indiana Jones together? Oh, I've, got this, I, I've got this guy. I've been wanting to work with him. His name's Chris Pine. I'm excited about him. I think he'd be great. Okay, we're going to pass the baton. That would have been great. And then actually pass the baton to Abrams in a way that helped Abrams grow as the, into the director that. I mean, Spielberg did try to do that with zero of a film as far as I'm concerned, Super 8. Super 8, Which Spielberg executive produced and J.J. Abrams did his riff on Spielberg and that movie is just stupid so there i mean it's just there like it's it's not saying anything it's not doing anything it's not sad it's not bad it's not it's just it's one of the movies that i've seen that i probably remember the least about because it's just so it's so unremarkable that i don't movie. remember anything about it either yeah there's a train that crashes and a I monster remember that there's and, a train and, and a bunch a of monster on, the things on bikes and a bunch of like let's relive steven spielberg's childhood which jj abrams has no connection to besides through steven spielberg which is the snake eating its tail, super lame, exactly what we complained about last time. Spielberg never would have thought to do that, A, because he was grooming Abrams in a different way, B, because Spielberg was grooming Shia LaBeouf, or however you say that guy's name. Spielberg, I think, you know, helped him land Transformers, gave him... And then he, like... Disturbia, uh, get, you know... Uh, and then, I mean, what a... Doofus move. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, LaBeouf turns around and says that Stevie did a bad job on Indiana Jones. Oh my goodness, which, what an idiot. He's right, but what a class. Don't throw Steven Spielberg under the bus, like moron. Not very like, classy and not very smart if you want a career. And here's the thing, A, Steven Spielberg is perfectly capable of making sure you never work again, if that's what he wants to do. B, if you're gonna work for Steven Spielberg and then badmouth him, who else is going to want to work with you? You worked with exactly Hercules. You know, you worked with the God among men and you trash talked him. So I know you're going to trash talk little old me. Yep. Yeah. Shia LaBeouf's an idiot. Um, or Shia LaBeouf. How do you even say I that guy's name? I don't know how to say his name. He doesn't deserve to know how to say his name. I don't know. I liked him back when he was like the doofus character that wore a hat in iRobot and Constantine like when when he was just playing kind of smarmy supporting characters I actually thought he was pretty good at that kind of I'm going to show up and be Will Smith's best friend or have weapons for Keanu Reeves Shia LaBeouf could do that kind of thing pretty well but 
I don't know. He doesn't have a lot of movie star charisma for somebody that was as briefly, whose flame burned as brightly, as shortly and quickly as his did. Shortly and quickly. See what I did there? I, I, I don't, I will be enough of a contrarian to say I don't mind him. I think that his energy could have worked in this movie if the script was there, if there was something for him to play that fit his persona. I think Shia LaBeouf's persona, at least then, was a very entitled brat. I mean, the character of Sam, that classic dramatas personae, that, that classic character of Sam Witwicky from the Transformers, Transformers is like a entitled American teenager who for some reason thinks he deserves Megan Fox and deserves the coolest car and he's mad that the world won't give them to him and so is Michael Bay and those movies are aggressively hostile and Shia LaBeouf plays into that like he has that kind of entitled energy and it's what did him in he was he thought that he deserved better than to work with Steven Spielberg on an Indiana Jones movie I think that said I think he's a pretty compelling performer and you can channel that sort of thing, but this movie doesn't do it. This not movie, the way it needs to. Yeah, this movie doesn't do it. The other thing I wanted to say, just to close the loop on my Polly is a robot theory, is those John Wayne movies and and Rocky movies always had really simple plots. If we're gonna hang out, then let's hang out and do same things on the side while we prepare for the big fight, or while we decide what to do about the guy, the rancher that's moving in on the cowboys' territories. Or it's like you always knew where you were because we have this really simple plot and then we can hang little moments, little character beats, little things like that Yeah, on it. That's how you make a hangout movie. Or you have zero plot, like one of those really bad John Wayne movies like McClintock or something where... What's the... Who nothing knows what the story of that movie is? It's you show up because it's funny and he's going to be across from Catherine Hepburn and he's going to spank her. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's hilarious. And people are going to fall into the mud. <laughs> and I mean, it's I mean, going to really, be a big mud fight. Yeah. That's the movie with the spanking and the mud. That's uh, th- yeah. those are the big plot points in McClintock, but it kind of works because actually we do all like to see those things. And John Wayne is just that good. And his stock company is great. And him and Hepburn, or not Hepburn, him and uh, Marine O'Hara have chemistry. Like, Oh, did I say Catherine Hepburn? I think I said, I uh, I don't remember. Okay, it was Marino here. I said Hepburn. Um, So, okay, I don't know. Let's go through this movie. Did the opening do anything for you? Did you have any hope? Did hope die immediately? It it died. It died immediately. Yeah. The Gophers are stupid. Everybody always likes to make fun of the Gophers, but okay, the Gophers are stupid, or whatever they are, groundhogs, ground chucks. Yeah. I like 1950s Drag Race. Uh, The Drag Race was fine. I like 1950s culture, and I like revealing the Russians that way. I like the Russians as bad guys. I, I think I'm, what I'm saying is I'm with the movie until Indiana Jones shows up. Exactly right. When Indiana Jones gets pulled out of the trunk and then picks up, and we have the, like, there's the hat, and mm-hmm. then we're going to go and put it on and have this, I was like, nah. mm. And then we have to see old Harrison Ford there mm. as if he's, like, not old Harrison Ford. That's actually a really good place to compare John Wayne again. John Wayne, so I always hate, uh, I enjoy them, but it it bugs me in like Cary Grant movies when Cary Grant's in his 60s and he's like trying to woo uh, Doris Day or Audrey Hepburn or somebody like that. It's There's something a little bit unseemly about it. Cary Grant's 
so darn charming that he kind of makes it work. But John Wayne, like, by the time of McClintock, like, he's the dad. He's just playing. And Catherine O'Hara is basically, or, sorry, wow. Maureen O'Hara. <laughs> <laughs> Maureen O'Hara is basically his age, and he's the patriarch of that, of the town of McClintock, and all his friends are middle-aged or older gentlemen and there's a second lead you know there's patrick wayne and stephanie powers are there's there's always like you said there's always the young man yeah who plays the young man yeah role yeah and it's like you know we're never gonna let go of the power that we've accrued is sort of like if there's a like if we're gonna tap into any id like Mm -hmm. that's it like when we've accrued power and we're never gonna let go of it and we're gonna be out here sucking and ruining everything for you mm-hmm. until we die because we have that much power and we can just do that. Mm-hmm. Like, wait, you're saying in in John Wayne or Indiana Jones? No, in Indiana Jones, mm-hmm. that's what Spielberg's basically communicating yeah, yeah, to yeah. us. We are the establishment. Mm-hmm. We established ourselves. We took the reins in the '80s, and we are not letting go of this thing until you, you pry it from our cold dead fingers. Yeah, and, and we're gonna pretend we, like we're still relevant like we're till still sexy like harrison ford hasn't aged 20 years 30 years like he's like he's he's just a, hey it's indiana jones it, there is no inheritance for you you get none of it we're going to ruin it all squander mm-hmm. it and take it to the grave with us we're burning it all down yeah, i mean at least those and john Wayne we're movies, done good luck in with the world that you inherit yeah really and, and that's basically what's communicated and we'll, that's we'll, about that's about right yeah, and it, it, the audience walks out feeling that, like, oh, thanks a lot. Yeah. Thanks for nothing. I mean, at least those John Wayne movies were basically like, well, the old man's still got a few tricks. Like, he can still hold his own in a mud fight. Yeah, I mean, like, that, that dumb Toby Keith song is basically just, like, it, trying to encapsulate the vibe of every last John, later John Wayne movie. Mm-hmm. I may not be as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as I ever was. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, yeah, you know... I still have a couple of tricks. I still have a little bit of old man game left in me. I can still I can still go out there and hit a couple three. I, I can still be Michael Jordan at at camp, and I can still put you in your place because I'm gonna hit I'm gonna hit that shot. Like I still have. But actually, most of the suspense, insofar as there is any, and something Mike McClintock is like, am I? You know, I mean, like I've got this problem of a middle aged rebellious wife. Am I gonna be able to? do something about it and I'm going to spend the whole movie not doing something and then I'm going to do my John Wayne thing and take care of business and yeah. we're going to be happy again but I had to sort of work up to that I didn't just do it in the beginning yep I had to get pushed we spent the whole movie pushing me over the edge I'd given up so I could finally regain the moxie that presumably she fell in love with me in the first place for right but actually I so you can you can you can tell that story. Yeah, you can start Harrison Ford out. You can start Indiana Jones out in a place where he's lost his mojo. Mm-hmm. You can start him in the place of a grumpy old man. That's a really obvious thing to do, actually. It's, it's a simple It's, it's trick. more surprising that they didn't do that. Yeah, it's a simple trick. And people would have ragged on it for being like, well, that's not my Indiana Jones. And, you know, they'd be saying the same things that we've been saying about Luke Skywalker or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you still have to have an angle on Like, okay, I hate those scenes, too. Like, where we're going to recruit the character who uh, doesn't want to do it. We all gonna, know. Of, of course, Indiana, it's called Indiana Jones. He's, he's going to go on the adventure. But there's a way to make that play, and at least that, that has an angle on the material. Yeah, I mean, 
I mean, for goodness sake, let, let's have Indiana Jones, let's just make it as on the nose as possible. Let's have Indiana Jones be a retired a, into a museum curator. Mm-hmm. I belong in a museum, kid. You know? Yeah. Like, and here I am. This is where I belong. Like, it belongs in a museum. I belong in a museum. I'm a relic. Mm-hmm. It's over. Leave me here with my collections of ancient history mm-hmm. to rot. Like, let's just do that. Like, then when Indiana let's, Jones. Let's take all those obvious lines that you can mm-hmm. pull and let's throw them out there. And we're getting ahead of the fact that Harrison Ford looks old. We're making it part of the story. In fact, we're making him look older at the beginning so that when he finally gets his mojo back and puts on that hat, everybody's like, yay! Exactly. It's earned. And then when he's running along, hobbling along like an old man, those crates were like, yeah, I'm just glad he's moving. He's pulling it off. Yeah. But we're supposed to believe that he's like jumping across the crates and across these beams while being shot at. At, no, in it's, his 60s. And he it moves just, so slow. It doesn't work. Like in like the stunt actor has to play it like that because you There was some old TV show, I forget what it's called, but the the stunt team developed a form of running because the actor, I think it was the equalizer with Edward Woodward. Edward Woodward is like was in his 60s or something. And so the whole stunt team had to learn how to look like they were old trying as, they well no, they had to learn how to look as dynamic as possible while moving really slow. They had to look like they were running their hearts out, but actually like they were swinging that punch, but actually it all had to be done in such a way that Edward Woodward could keep up. Oh, wow. This yeah. movie, this movie kind of has that, that like everything has to be slow. Well, what actually happens a lot of the times is Harrison Ford just does not much of anything in the middle of the frame while special effects go off. Right. Those crates are going to blow up. Mm-hmm. There's very little of the action. It's why I kind of like that motorcycle chase because it's the one thing that kind of feels like it's happening. Like we're there. Mm-hmm. We're it's not that exciting, but yeah, it feels like an action scene that Steven Spielberg might plaus the good version of Steven Spielberg. I mean, Spielberg would make it run through the middle of a library and right. And when Harrison Ford's kind of going from the truck to the motorcycle, he's kind of like doing it in the way that a 60 year old man would you know it's yeah and he's wearing a tweed suit or something like that so it just all feels like ah, old indiana jones is doing his best mm-hmm. but when we see him in that where like from the warehouse on from the very first scene it's like i don't i don't believe any of this stuff yeah and you didn't yeah what a dumb opening sequence and and why are we gonna uh, i mean I get that we have to establish we're in the 50s now. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Drag race idea. That's fine. Whatever. But, I mean, think of the opening sequence to Raiders. Mm-hmm. But, but the argument I'll make for it is it's kind of the opening sequence from Temple of Temple Doom. Temple of it's, Doom, we're right? Just, we're it doing is, something we're different. Do, and, and it's going to be just as absurd as the raft out of the airplane. Mm-hmm. You know, down to he managed to survive a nuclear bomb explosion. oh well we can talk about that i was i was only defending the credits fridge. sequence like the credits is i'm fine with because i think it's fun to start with a 50s pop song and yeah that, that to me feels like let's surprise the audience you, that's fine you expect indiana jones walking through the jungle let's give him so yeah sorry yeah i know i, I mean i mean it just leads up to that i like it's still part in my mind it's still part of the o- opening it's like mm. 
okay, the opening credits to Raiders is we don't even see Indy, but we're going through mm-hmm. the jungle. But it all culminates with the boulder. Right. Right. And then being chased down to the plane. Right. And so if you like map it, like, okay, the boulder run is like jumping across the crates mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And then, you know, the final chase to the plane is the atom bomb. Right. Survival. And that's the end of that little, mm-hmm. you know. Well, if I mapped it, I think I'd actually match the atom bomb to the stupid raft a because they're both implausible and stupid but b because well, yeah the action's kind of no, no, stopped no, yeah. and then i mean but that is i mean that's what i was saying but yeah, yeah so but you would just make that clear break i don't it doesn't feel like a clear break mm-hmm. to me the way that uh so temple of doom you know there's the casino or whatever the like cafe Ob- obi-wan mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. we call it that whole thing and then there's the plane scene right to me the adam bomb still feels of feels like its own with the right area 51 i guess i i would the way i would map it is this the opening sequence of raiders of the lost ark is obvious it culminates with indiana jones in a plane flying away from a different adventure and then he's gonna and then the movie actually starts the story starts with this arc adventure temple of doom same thing like it culminates with us on a raft and then the movie starts. We literally float into the story mm-hmm. of Temple of Doom. Last Crusade. I'm going to finally get that cross and destroy the man in the white Panama hat. and With the red palm blue. With the, yeah. And then we're going to go to the university. So by that no, metric. We to the university. So by yeah. that metric, we're going to get all the way through the. It's sloppy. It doesn't really. There's a reason we're even having this discussion because it's so long and cumbersome to get there. But yeah. the fridge is actually the last thing from this old adventure. And then we're going to slowly meander. They're going to jump our, to the university. Right. Which is why adventure. I put the fridge as part of that opening sequence. In right. My mind. Okay. Yeah. I think we're somehow, and folks, we've gone without lunch today. I think we both, <laughs> and I'm sure it's my fault, just argued against each other arguing the exact same thing sounds like it you were arguing that the fridge well i had said the fridge is the end of the opening sequence that's what i was saying and i was saying no the fridge is the end of the opening sequence jake yeah well when i brought up the fridge as the end of the opening sequence you're like i was only when i said the opening sequence i was only talking about oh everything else before that and i was like oh well in my mind it's the end of the opening sequence because it's all connected, and then we jump to the university. Yes, it's like, I am sorry. I used the word opening sequence to mean the credit sequence, and then I tried to unconfuse it. And and then we got confused. We got confused. The same thing. So the credit sequence, where it's just the drag... Drag race, Elvis. All that I'm 1950s. Good with. But the opening sequence through the atom bomb, once right. Indy hits the scene through the atom bomb, no. No, it's, it's, it's one of those things where I really want to like it. Like by the, by the rest of the movie, by the time we get to that big jungle chase, it's like I'm done. I, but this I've watched this movie now several times, and every time it's like, ah, you know, it's pretty good. Maybe, maybe it kind of works, but no, it no, it really doesn't. You have that garbage with the guy that betrayed him three times, three times, or... and his whole storyline is so stupid. Why do we keep trusting this guy? Why do we, why is he even there? Like, what is he doing besides making things more confusing and muddled? 
like his yeah. existence makes it muddled. Like I just don't. We have the arc callback, which is so square and lame and George Lucas at his worst kind of prequel instinct. If we had, I mean, it was fine until we had to actually see the arc. When we, when we open Area 51 from the inside and mm-hmm. the arc music is playing. Yeah, great. That was enough. Fine. That was enough but to we tell to us. Pan down, see the arc and have John Williams underline it with a Sharpie with the arc music then. I don't even mind if they drive past, they knock open the crate and just in the background, we see the arc. Like right. if it's an Easter egg, fine, but it's not an Easter egg when the action moves away and our camera slowly pans down. Yeah. After we've already Easter egged it, mm-hmm. you know, just because we open, like we open the doors and we get bump, bump, mm-hmm. you know, the arc score. And then, you know, all these crates everywhere. Yeah. That's it. That's the Easter egg. Yep. That's all we needed. They're like, let's, egg. let's see what's in then, the Easter egg. <clears throat> and then, you know, we come all the way back around. Mm-hmm. So we open the warehouse with the Easter egg and then we leave it with, and by the way, mm-hmm. here is the Ark of the Covenant. Hey, it's remember, here. Remember that Easter egg? Let's open it up. Oh, it's nerds. <laughs> Not a good candy. <laughs> Who likes nerds? No, but you'll eat it anyway, won't yeah. you? Yes, you will. Yes, here it you is. Fat idiot. <laughs> Sometimes I open up, open up, fat idiot. Eat the nerds. I, I think nerd. I'm, I'm not telling any tales out of school when I say sometimes I'm a snob. And this will be a surprise to no one that listens to our podcast. I, I don't know when I've hated my fellow movie goers more and felt more like, what am I even doing here? I don't belong here in this movie theater with these rubes than when that scene happened. And people went, oh, oh my goodness. Like, that's not cool. That's the same as going, oh, when Yoda says, my f- new friend Chewbacca. Like, this is, this is lame. This is not, yeah. this is not cool. This is really dorky and not in an adorable George way, but in a Stevens trying too hard and not enough yeah. way. I like that shot where the guy ties his shoes while they shoot the people. That's some nice Sp- oh, yeah. Spielberg blocking. Everyone, so Steven Spielberg is a good filmmaker. I'm going to go out on a limb here. <laughs> and there are moments in this movie where you're just like, oh, that was a fun way to do that. That was cool. Yeah. A little bit old school. But there's two other things I want to say about this. Number one, color correction. This movie feels so fundamentally different because they're using modern digital color correction to kind of wash everything out and make it high contrast and make it, it just looks different. It doesn't look like an Indiana Jones movie. It looks like what it is a movie from 2008 but i don't know if people have ever wondered like why don't why what what makes new movies look like new movies like when you when 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 my wife says Ugh, i don't want to look watch that because it feels 90s what is that a lot of its color correction digital color correction came along and was really they really figured out how to use the crap out of it in um the matrix well the matrix is a good example but even before that Oh, brother, where art thou? Oh, where right, they, yeah. where, where, which is wonderful. They desaturate everything, and it's yeah, this wash really cool it all out and make it feel old timey, and make it feel old timey. Yeah. And so that was like a groundbreaking work. Like, oh, we can, we can actually go through and just digitally do whatever we want with the color now. Yeah. And so every film since then, everything. Thanks, Cohen's. Yeah, we don't, we don't just print the film and kind of do a few things optically like we used to, which is what any movie you know before '98 looks like. 
now we have to make everything like a blue tint or a gray tint. Green tint, tint green or a gray tint or a sepia tone. Or Well, it's often a blue tint too. It'd be nice if there it was more. Like I like those Matrix movies. They've got that green tint, but how many blue tinted movies yeah. do we need to see? And Caucasian skin looks really good on and blue tint. So if you want to talk about the systemic uh, racism of Hollywood, they've chosen a tint that makes white people look good. And they throw those stupid filters over every movie and it steven spielberg is a great filmmaker his photography is very pretty his cinematographer is great but this movie just it feels much more artful and much less down and dirty than an indiana jones movie and that's clear from frame one like i I didn't consciously think this until years later but just sitting there in the theater i remember like this doesn't doesn't really feel like an indiana jones movie what's what's wrong with this thing so that's my thought number one about this open se- opening sequence. I guess we have to talk about the fridge too. But thought number two, I like the idea of the Russians as the bad guy. Well, if you're going to age and D up and put it in the 50s, mm-hmm. then okay, sure. Yeah. Let's make the Russians the bad guy and let's make saucer men the thing. Yeah, those are... That's fine. But then let's actually play with the real iconography of Soviet Russia, Red exactly. Scare, and... Sputnik and Saucerman. Like, let's make the movie where we think we're dealing with the Soviets and actually we're dealing with the Saucerman. Or like, you know, let's. There's a lot of ways to do that movie. No, but you have to. The messaging is so muddled in every conceivable way in this movie. But we're gonna have a scene later where Indiana Jones sits in his office and he's sad with his friend, and his friend is like, "Oh." Isn't it sad that we see communists under every rock now? And then Indiana Jones and his son are going to go through this anti-communist rally or something like that. This anti-red or yeah. rally. And so we're, we're, we're digging into the fact that the past is complicated and we, 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 we saw Russians under every corner. The Russians are raiding Area 51. They're... Yeah. The, the the logic of this movie is that the Russians were that bad. They sent their top secret paranormal lady with a whole bunch of people to raid Area 51 to kill and people. kill everybody and steal the secrets of Area 51. And and, and then we we have the gall to have some kind of weird messaging about ah oh, well, you know, there were heroes on both sides. It really makes the movie less fun. I mean, Indiana Jones says Russians. And you expect him to say I hate, I hate those guys. guys. And he, and he doesn't say it because I guess that would be politically incorrect to Russians. If you feel like you can't do it with Russians, then choose somebody. Indiana Jones movies need a little xenophobia, actually. We need a bad guy that's just... I mean, for goodness sake, I know let's it's hard put to... it in Argentina with the remnants of the escaped Nazis. Right. And let's have him go up against the Nazis again if we have to. Like, We need somebody that's just bad. And if, if, if for whatever weird politically correct reason we feel like the Russians can't do the job, then go somewhere else. Because we had two movies with Nazis and one movie with a demonic cult. And these Russians are really lackluster. And we don't even seem to want to say that they're all that bad. Kate Blanchett's character isn't, the movie doesn't even really seem to have a point of view on her. Like, is she an idealist? Is she a psychopath? Does she really support Russia? Is she an outlier? Like, is, is she Belloc just using it to to get her knowledge? She gets punished as if the whole movie she's been 
seeking this arcane knowledge and now she gets what she asks for and you should never get what you have. That's like, that's how she dies. Yeah. But there's not too much of that. Let me just ask you, Jake, who is Kate Blanchett? Like what, what is the character besides a bad accent and a, she's a character or whatever. She's a caricature of that chick from Rocky and Bullwinkle. That's hot. Yeah. Yeah. Really? I mean, she's like, it's just straight up Boris and Natasha, right? Like, but then she doesn't really get to do anything all that evil. evil. Like, no. She's like, ostensibly evil, but nothing that she does in the moment reads as too terrible. She seems pretty reasonable, actually. She's willing to work with Indiana Jones. She tries to get inside his mind, but... He's too strong-willed or whatever. Yeah, and that's over, and then we don't really we don't really do anything with that. Yeah, I, it's just... It's weird. Yeah, like... And Kate Blanchett's obviously there to play the over-the-top james bond version like she's old, here for it yeah she's she's like i've got a silly accent i've got a silly haircut i'm here to play your russian stereotype bad guy and just have a ball chewing scenery and then the movie is like well why don't you be kind of subdued and not do anything that interesting with it yep well, let's talk about the fridge scene okay so indiana jones somehow ends up in a test a remarkably well-developed town with electricity that's about to be well they're testing the results of the atom bomb okay so, so they want they've created a test city and they've got you know everybody placed in their scenarios and they want to see what happens mm-hmm. and what survives and what doesn't and so he shows up to the test site because he's wandering through the desert after barely surviving this area 51 thing mm-hmm. he thinks he's coming on a town or something and Nope. And then he suddenly realizes what's happening and there's an atomic bomb coming and the sirens are going off and he's out of time and there's nothing left to be done but to jump into the old lead. Mm-hmm. The old fridge with the big sign on it that says lead lined as, as yep. all of our fridges say. Yep. Um, because we, this is a screenplay where we dot our I's, we cross our T's, we make sure everything makes sense. There's no inconsistencies or holes or anything like that. So... We want you to understand that fridge was lead-lined. Yep. I want to go out on a little bit of a limb and say, okay, obviously, nuke the fridge. Everybody tried to get it to become the new Jump the Shark. It's pretty stupid. The fridge is bad CGI. It's a dumb conceit. I actually like the sequence up until the fridge. Like, that's a fun corner to paint Indiana Jones into. And that little ghost town with all the eerie mannequins and stuff is actually one of the more evocative interesting little moments in the movie that's sure taps into a little bit of that spielberg love-hate relationship with suburbia and with his mom and dad's generation that we talked about last time on our poltergeist episode so i think that's a great little sequence actually that you're the tinny music playing the tv with like leave it yeah all that all that's fine but then he jumps into the fridge and then the fridge gets propelled out of the blast zone and then he opens the door and walks away. Well, you would make that point, Jake. You you would make that point. I would. Yeah, I would. I did. Well, here, okay, here's my question for you. So the raft scene didn't work for me either. Yeah, and no, I don't give it any points. I don't either. The rafts. I think the raft scene and the, and the fridge scene are uh, set to zero, or set to zero. What am I saying? They're they're zeros. They they're swings and misses. I don't even. They 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 barely deserve to be called swings. They're they're bad scenes. Yep. The worst in Indiana Jones. Now, uh, let me... I, I, I've fire been, ants are pretty awesome, though. Oh, yeah. The fire ants are great. Here's my question for you, Jake. 
This this movie is competing for all the worst scenes in Indiana Jones, and the only scene that can possibly work its way into the list is the raft scene. Yeah. From a different Indiana Jones movie. I don't know that there's a scene outside of the raft scene that can work its way into mm-hmm. competition for worse. I, I think we could come up with five worse scenes yeah. or more there's from Marion driving the truck onto the tree. There's nuke the fridge. Yeah. The fire ants. Yeah. There's all kinds of like, we could just come up with scene after scene after scene of junk mm-hmm. from crystal skull. And the only scene that would be worth throwing into the list from any other movie would be the raft scene. Yeah. It's true. It's true. Here's here's my question though. I was watching an interview with the playwright David Mamet, and he said, "If you get to the place where you've written your story and there's no, you cannot think of a way to get your character out of this situation, that's great. You should never throw away that because your audience won't be able to think of anything either, and so that's when you have a chance to delight and surprise them." So my question for you, Jake Bensel, is: You've written Indiana Jones. Onto a nuclear. I don't think what he means. Sorry, go ahead. Well, my question is, and and it sounds like you're gonna tear the question apart at the at its very core. But yeah, my question was going to be: You've written Indiana Jones into a nuclear t- test site. Definitely what David Mamet was thinking of. <laughs> 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 you remember the scene in Glen Gary, Glen Ross, where they're on a nuclear test site and they have to get yeah. away and they all yeah. get into a fridge. That's an unsolvable problem it's a locked room mystery of action scenes like there's no solution to this pretty good cliffhanger for an indiana jones serial movie what do you do how do you how do you get him out of there he's in the middle of a nuclear test site you've created a no-win scenario he dies like there is no there's no winning Mm -hmm. there is no getting him out of this the way you get him out of it is okay fine the way you get him out of it is the bomb's a dud and it's a laugh. It's played for laughs. That's actually great. I know. I just came up with I it. Told you. Told you. Thank you, David Mamet, and thank you, Jake Menzel. Bomb comes barreling out of the sky. Creates. It lands on the truck that the Russians are trying to escape in, mm-hmm. and then it doesn't detonate. Mm-hmm. And all the scientists in the room are like, "Crap!" Mm-hmm. And Indiana Jones walks over and picks his hat up from underneath the truck mm-hmm. and dusts it off and goes on his merry way. Well, and I think actually what you do in that scene, probably because we, we want, we want that iconic shot of Indiana Jones standing outside the mushroom club. That's yeah. A cool shot. Yeah. What happens is he goes on his merry way and then, and then he gets clear of the blast site and some scientist is like, Oh, we did the detonator thing wrong. Mm-hmm. And then they boom and then they trigger it. Or if you want to, lean into the excitement the bomb lands crushes the car and then it's like bomb will detonate in five you know he, he give indiana jones just enough time to run or to hot wire a motorcycle or grab a bicycle or or something like that <laughs> i don't think five seconds is enough time to clear uh... well, i didn't finish my sentence the bomb will detonate in five minutes okay fine even then five right. minutes man yikes but five minutes is like within the realm of Indiana Jones is a cool hero plausibility. Sure. Where because, getting it's into an, a, because it's an Indiana Jones movie, sure. Getting into a fridge crosses a line that you have five minutes to run from a nuclear blast. Actually doesn't, especially if he's got a fast means of transportation. Yeah, and then let's have him, let's have there be a, I mean, just because we're trying to make it still cool and fun, let's have it be an old 50s hot rod that they put out there. 
Yeah, there we go. Maybe like, those kids from the beginning come barreling through and give them a ride, and it's like there was a setup and a payoff or something like that. I mean, you could come up with a way to make it work. Yeah, there you go. I really like it, actually. Oh, my goodness. You guys, like, what does this tell you about how lazy this movie is? I'm sure I've never sat and thought for half. I've never thought it was worth thinking for half a second how to not make Mm. that scene not suck. But, you know, okay, let's workshop it. Put us in the corner. Mm -hmm. Like, we just came up with something that actually could have been fun and cool. Like, come on, guys. Like, just a little bit of energy is all it takes. Mm Mm-hmm. It's your job. You're getting paid millions of dollars to do this. Yeah, not let's have George Lucas and his boys at ILM solve this with a fake fridge. I mean, come on. That's actually a great idea. Mm -hmm. And the fact is, I was ready to just say it's a bad question. Mm -hmm. But It's a great question. It's a great question. And we actually came up with a good solution. And you can make this a good movie. Yep. It just takes a little creativity. Well, Jake. Go ahead. Keep boxing yourself into the corners. Yeah. Yeah, David, let David Mehmet write this script. Or Jake Menzel. Well, I, part of why I think, and this is why I keep coming back to this Chris Pine idea. I think that if, I, or I want to believe, I don't know that I actually think this, but I, I deeply want to believe that if there was somebody mm-hmm. on that set that had a spark of life and vitality to them, that it might actually inspire Spielberg to say, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. We've got potential here. There's potential here. Yeah. And we're not tapping into it. And mm-hmm. let's figure this out. Like, and that's why, you know, I, I want to place it in an act. Like Harrison Ford doesn't want to be there. Karen Allen is happy to be back on the silver screen and cashing a paycheck. Mm-hmm. Shia LaBeouf thinks he's too good for this. Like, mm-hmm. why are we even, like, if I'm Steven Spielberg, why are we even here? I don't want to be here. None of these people want to be here. Who cares? we're all just here to cash a paycheck like mm. with his great bro. Like who cares? Like let's put somebody there that wants to be there and is excited and has something to work with. And that's why I want to solve it with an actor because I have this romantic idea that if you have like this. I don't think it's that romantic. Steven Spielberg likes actors. He has chemistry with them. I think a lot of the success of Last Crusade isn't just the idea of Henry Jones. It's the fact that Sean, Sean Connery Connery's there and he's came to play. on fire. Right? It was a great like, idea to cast him for all kinds of reasons. And he had a lot of good ideas and things. And he was excited about it. Like, you give Steven Spielberg the equivalent of that with a character. and Yeah, let's just give him this bright-eyed, handsome, I could be the next generation's Harrison Ford character and then see if it doesn't light something in him you know Mm -hmm. see if it doesn't give him that spark back for goodness sake well jake we are recording this and i think i'm just gonna call it i think i think we owe people part two a full autopsy of the rest of this movie but um i'm subbing for uh our youth group um and so i gotta go teach a youth group lesson right now all right on not being lazy so there we go. There we go. So here's your example. Yeah. Here's your illustration. Yeah. I just got done recording a autopsy of a horrible movie, and now I'm giving this lesson to all you brats. Something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I hate you, and I hate them, and I hate everyone. You're the Shia LaBeouf to my Indiana Jones. That's yeah. Probably what That's probably. What so I'm gonna go do that. You're gonna drive back to Evansville. That's right. But we will reconvene next time for maybe a short autopsy i don't know how much more there is to say about this movie but we promised people deep dives and we need to talk about 
where this fits into the hero's journey. Yeah. And um, yeah, there's a lot to talk about still. And we got to talk about some of those action scenes and there's more to say. So I think you know what kind of our overall arcing, uh, whatever our thesis statement on these movies are, but we'll be back with, I can't believe we're doing two parts. Two parts on for this Skull. one. <laughs> it is what we would do. It is what we would do. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back with part two of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and um, Adam Driver. Oh, yeah. Potentially. Maybe he would be too young at the time, but. Well, and not classically handsome enough. No, but he actually kind of has a He'd weird Harrison Ford He'd look. He'd have the verve, verve right? Yeah. Like, well, I mean, that is like, he does work as, as, Har- as Han Solo's son in a way that Shia LaBeouf doesn't. Well, one of the only times that the Rise of Skywalker comes to life is when we get a little taste of who Ben Solo could have been. Yeah. You got you have that guy come to be Indiana Jones' son? That might be pretty great. Well, see, that's JJ again. Yeah. I mean, look- why Why do we have these people in the wrong places? Like, J.J. needs to be in casting. Mm-hmm. Like, that's it. And he can do some cinematography. Casting and cinematography should not have been elevated to, just like Kathleen Kennedy should have not been. Like, Spielberg's children have been elevated to all the wrong places. Mm-hmm. And he should have never broken up the band. Yep, you're right. The Beatles, Yoko Ono, curse you. Yeah, curse you, Yoko Ono. It's all your fault. Yep. And what better note could we end this podcast, which was produced by me, executive produced by both of us. Uh, do go to Patreon. I think I forgot to say this last time. Go to patreon.com forward slash sanity at the movies. Such so many deep dives and good takes on Star Wars there. You wouldn't believe it. We came up with something today. Oh my goodness. A take on who Obi-Wan Kenobi is and who like Ahsoka, who Ahsoka and Obi-Wan and Anakin and Yoda, who they all represent. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty great take, and it's on some, like, B-level <laughs> season three episode of The Clone Wars. Yep, yep. Uh, but, yeah, listen to it. Patreon.com forward slash Sanity at the Movies. Until next time. I have a bad feeling about this. <laughs> <laughs>